Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me author TJ Lombardi. Now, TJ has came out um, this year on fire. He has two books out. The first one came out in February. The second one came out just a few days ago. Um, it is the God King Emmanuel Saga, the first book, The Dying Breed, Fallen Hunters, and then the second one, The Dying Breed, Injustice. Um, TJ, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit um, about the series. Sure. Hey, thanks a lot, Carson, and to all of our viewers who tune in. Uh, this is a great opportunity, and I'm very blessed and grateful for this. So thank you so much. Um, I would say, you know, the easiest way to, to describe myself is I'm TJ Lombardi. Uh, I did just under 16 years in the Air Force, uh, just recently got out in May. Uh, I ended my career as a first sergeant, but had the privilege of doing a multitude of jobs, everything from nuclear security to equipment manager, uh, kind of like a guidance counselor, dormitory manager, uh, security, unit training, counter narcotics, and then the first sergeant. So I had a very vast career um, that I'm very grateful to experience. And along that line, as I started in my military career, I was going through a lot in my life where I was questioning kind of some of my peers. And I thought, you know, why do we have these things called core values in the Air Force, the military, and yet none of you want to live by them? And, and I started out as a young airman in the dormitories with a lot of these kind of built up thoughts and, and emotions. And so one of the ways that I dealt with that was through writing. And so I would write thesis papers, you know, just my thoughts for the week or whatever. And that slowly transitioned into the dying breed. Now, I wanted to have this story of this young kid who wanted to be a warrior and wanted to go along the warrior's path. And all throughout that, he had the mentor, you know, that fantasy trope of the mentor that guided him and showed him, here's the harsh realities of it. So the story actually started 14 years ago as a young airman. I got about seven chapters in and then my career took off. I started to, you know, focus on that and I lost everything. Uh, it was either deleted or, you know, old laptops, old hard drives, whatever. So uh, I searched for a couple months and I just couldn't find that old material. So uh, roughly four years ago, I really started to get into audiobooks. And the reason I say that is because, you know, throughout my military career, all of my reading was military history, leadership philosophy, self-development, everything that could enhance my career potential as a leader. It wasn't until about four years ago when I started to work and serve in uh, the Klamath County Search and Rescue that, hey, I've got a ruck march. I've got to be ready for getting out in the field. And you know what? I just want to mix things up. So I found this audiobook uh, called The Land, written by Dr. Aleron Kong. And uh, the voice narration by Nick Padell just was so inspiring. It blew me away, his quality, his character dynamics that he used for his voices, and that little voice inside my head was, TJ, you started a story a long time ago. Why didn't you finish that? Why didn't you complete that? And for four years, I'm a little bit of a religious guy, spiritual guy. I felt God was really compelling me and slowly working on me for four years of like, dude, I want you to do this. I want you to work on this. So it was, gosh, we're in two, 2023. I went to schooling in 2022 for my first sergeant uh, duty. And I remember standing up in the audience, the crowd of 13 others in my class, and we were supposed to give a briefing on goals, but it had to be value uh, uh, centered around your values, your ethics, something that really meant a lot to you. And so I just, I stood up there and I said, you know what, I've had this book idea, I'm going to write it, I will do it. And so 
I started uh, November storyboarding. I storyboarded for four months and then I finally was pushed to start writing. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Nope. That class was in 2021 because it was in January of 2022. I started writing and now the dying breed hunter or excuse me, the dying breed is my primary series in fantasy. Uh, books one and two are out. Like you said, book three has been written and it's in the editing phase. Book four, I got about 71,000 words in. So that would have completed the first saga, the God King Emmanuel. But then I got challenged. I got challenged by a fellow author, a good friend of mine uh, to write this lit RPG story that I had in the works. And it is basically the Marvel's Punisher and John Wick thrown together with a little bit of Deadpool humor in there. So uh, I am currently, let me look here and I can find out. I am just at 53,000 words for book two in that series. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So he challenged me at the, let's see, when did he throw down that gauntlet? It was April of this year. He challenged me. He's like, dude, I want you to write this story. I want 50,000 words in nine days. So I was like, Holy okay. Cow. So I gave him 68,000 words in eight days. He's like, here you go, big guy. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so book one of that series is done and it is submitted to a small lit RPG indie publishing house. Um, uh, I gave him the first you know, three chapter sample and they're like, dude, we're very interested. Send us the rest. So we're really excited about that. Book one is done. Book two, like I said, we're about a third of the way through. Um, my goal is to have all four books in that series written within the next four months. So the goal is to, you know, write and have all that material done, do all the editing at once, do all the corrections at once, and hopefully do a mass release in January of 2024, where we're either releasing one book per week in January or one a month where you get January, February, March, April, and the whole series is done within that short time frame. That's amazing. That is really like crazy busy. Like I can't believe that you do that. Now, first off, I want to say thank you for your service. Absolutely. Um, thank you. That's um, amazing. The sacrifice that you've made. Um, so thank you very much. Now, now too, um, when we spoke, you know, I set up the time for this and you said you, you'd have your words in by then. Let's talk mm -hmm. about your daily habits. Um, sure. How much has the military influenced you to stay on task to do um, your, you know, have a daily routine? And what are some of your goals for your for the day? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I would say the military is really interesting because the Air Force is extremely unique compared to the other branches. Now I know, you know, in the Army or Marines, you might have that morning formation of, hey, everyone here at 5 a.m. And then, of course, the sergeant's like, nope, I want everyone at 4.30 just for a 30-minute prep to be here at 5. And then you do your, your group PT session or whatever. You go about your day. Well, with the Air Force, it's very duty-centric. It's very position-centric. So when I ended my career, the bosses were like, dude, we don't care when you show up or if you leave early as long as the troops are taken care of and this, this, this is done. So I was given a lot of freedom to design and develop my own uh, system. But the work ethic, the work quality is something that was the huge influence from the military of you just give it everything you can 110% effort. Um, I would say probably one of the greatest books that influenced my setup for a daily routine would be atomic habits. Um, 
and you know it's sold millions of copies and then also um robin gosh what is her last name she did the high five habit and it's a lot of my daily routine was all built of just do small things small positive habits that will build the system that will then allow you to success um you know an easy example is someone who says oh i'm gonna go out and run a marathon that's what i'm gonna do and they stay so focused on wanting to accomplish the marathon that they normally burn themselves out. They, they normally push themselves too hard. They don't build those positive habits that establish the system to accomplish the thing. And that goes along with the philosophy of it's not necessarily the end goal, it's the journey that means the most to you. So for me, there was a, when I started out, there was that little bit of temptation of I have to hit 8,000 words a day or 6,000 words a day. And I got to the point of not beating myself up of, dude, if you get 2,600 words in today and you are mentally exhausted because you just didn't get a good night of sleep, you still accomplish more than others. And that is still okay. Um, there's days where I've done 10,000, 11,000 words in a day. And it's like, heck yeah, this is awesome, right? So my daily routine right now, and, and I say that because it has changed and I move it around for what works best, but I normally wake up anywhere from five to 7 a.m. I, I don't hold myself necessarily. It's whenever my body wakes up, okay, that's when we're gonna engage. And I sit down and write until I feel like I've hit my point for the day. Um, and and I, I do track every word. I track every daily progression. So today I've already hit 3,041 words. I finished a chapter, um, which was a, a gunfight in Morocco, which I, I liked how it ended. I felt good and confident. And I will more than likely, once we're done, go in and write the next chapter because it's the operation briefing for the next mission he has. So, you know, that will more than likely be maybe a thousand or 2,000 words. Um, and again, it all depends on like, if I want to do character reflection and emotion and, and really tie all that in. So daily routine is wake up and just write, just, if that's your primary focus, then pour your energy into that, uh, and then build off of that. So, uh, from there, I will normally write, like I said, until I get done, but it's normally anywhere from 11 to 2 PM. And the other reason why that's my goal timeframe is that's when I like to go to the gym and there's not a whole lot of people at the gym when I go, that I go to. So I'll try to get some type of lift session in. And uh, again, now that I'm getting 36, I give myself a lot of grace where I'm like, dude, I don't need to be in the gym for three hours anymore, grinding on the weights. My joints can't take it. My body can't take it. So I work out until I normally feel like I got a good pump in, which is only about 40 minutes, but that's all you need. Mm -hmm. And then I'll come back. I'll normally get my, um, my lunch in. And from there, I will normally go for a walk. And as you know, cause I, I think you're down here in Arizona with me, right? No, I'm actually in Southern Utah. Oh, okay. Perfect. So, I mean, you still understand the weather, the climate, right? It's, right. it's going to be about 102 today. I will go walk outside in the sun, um, for about an hour or more. And uh, I have a lot of people look at me like, dude, you're crazy. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. But that was another part of the military of it's not about the walk. It's about the mental suffering that I have to push myself through. 
because it is unpleasant. My body is trying to tell me, dude, this, this stinks. Don't do this. And I'm like, yep, well, I'm still going to force you to do it. Um, and it's so much more beneficial for you to get direct sunlight, direct air, you know, fresh air. So, um, I will go walk for normally an hour and I will then listen either to an audiobook or right now I'm doing a beta read for a fellow author. So I have uh, Microsoft word on my phone and, um, I listen through narration through that application. So, uh, that's how I kind of cheat the system there. Cause I'm so much better at audio listening than I am physical reading. Uh, then once the walk is done, kind of get shower, change up. And then that's when I either do social media stuff, emails, uh, spend time with a girlfriend, whatever it is. So that's kind of the daily routine. And then what was the, oh, so the military aspect, it, it definitely helps. But in reality, if you can have the self-discipline to just start those positive habits and build upon them, you're going to be just as successful. So. I like you, you said, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm going to try to unpack a whole bunch of stuff that you said there. Sure. Yeah, I think anybody that is listening is beneficial. So one, you, you get the work in whether you feel like it or not. Um, and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Like you said, like you give yourself a lot of grades, whether it's 11,000 words or 2,600 words for anybody that's starting out, if you can do a hundred words every single day, I think yes. that is, is, is key. And the consistency, consistency of it is important. Um, yes. If you can be consistent, 100 words can turn into 150 to 200 to a thousand. Like, um, and and you do that every day. Two, I think for um, a lot of people, getting outside and breathing fresh air, getting direct sunlight, um, even if it's for 10 minutes a day. We're we're going to talk about little habits. Um, I think it was it Charles uh, Duhigg or Duhigg that does the Atomic Habits. Is he the author of that? If I remember. Uh, right. Yes, I believe so. And I'm I mean, not we sure. Have for us real quick here yeah uh, yeah look it up while i'm talking um so that, that's important and, and to go along with that working out um sometimes if you are in a situation where you're you know if you have a full-time job and then you come home and write or you write in the morning have full-time a job sometimes things get left by the wayside and i think working out um even if it's you know if you combine the two like you do with your walk um being able to um walk and and get the direct sunlight is, is key and then two like setting up habits for your success yeah uh so james clear is the author of oh, james Atomic clear, okay. yep um no you're absolutely right and there was recently uh a reel on instagram i was listening to and it was from a ted talk and the guy said if you can spend 18 minutes a day 18 minutes a day on whatever it is and this could be from cooking crafting, painting, writing, whatever, you are going to be better than 95% of the rest of the world. Because so many times we get into that, oh, you know what? I'm going to just work on this on the weekend. Oh, Saturday, I'm going to get my words in. I'm going to do this, da, da, da. Well, then Friday night gets here. You wake up Saturday morning and your tire's flat. Oh man, I got to go fix the tire. Oh, you know what? The wife said, hey, I need you to go run to the store and do this, this, this. Or, you know, the, the, the water line in the garden broke and you got to fix that. And so everything gets in the way. So I even found that there's times where I would do sprints where I only had, you know, 20 minutes available for the day because of like some other activity. And I could slam out like four or 500 words in that 20 minutes. So yeah, if you just feel like, Oh, I don't have any time. If you can just, you know, like you said, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, 
do it. And I even, there was times when I was writing book three in the dying breed series where I would just take the laptop out into the living room. Mom would put on like a movie or, or something where we could spend time together, but I was just sitting there writing. And every once in a while I would ga- engage with her. We would talk, I would take a break from writing the scene or whatever, but then I would jump back into it. So, you know, think of creative things outside the box, but don't give up on your dreams because of the situation. If you want it bad enough, just slowly start with that habit. No, that's great advice. I was thinking of The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, not oh, Atomic okay. Habits by James Clare. So they're both good books if you're, you, you know, you want to learn how to build um, habits in your life and how to um, get rid of bad habits and replace them with good habits. So, yes. um, so the, the writing sprints is um, a very um, useful tool for people just starting out. Um, I don't know if you know who Chris Fox is. He wrote a series of 5,000 words um, a day or an hour, I think like that. He has a writing series to help people. Um, you know, he has to deal with marketing, um, writing, editing, you know, uh, plot ideas. But in his book, uh, 5,000 words an hour, he has little tests that, okay, you got five minutes, write as many words as you can. And, you know, that takes, you know, overthinking and plotting what I'm going to say. Like, you just have to write. And writing sprints is an is important way, I think, for people just to get in the habit of writing, even if you have to throw all those words away, just being able to sit down and, and writing uh, for a certain amount of time, I think, um, helps build those habits. Yep. No, 100%. 100%. Because, yeah, there's there's times where there was a test I took, or it wasn't a test, I was filling out some some forms for a certain event. And at the very last thing, it said, write 250 words you're a writer, write 250 words. And now you had to just come up on the spot and write something. And so I struggled for like a minute of, okay, what should I do? And then I was like, you know what? I have a, I have a, this other follow on book series that I want to write. I know exactly the scene and I just went for it. So it's, it's really great. And I think a lot of people they're intimidated because they, they haven't started, right? You have that self-doubt, that fear, that whatever, but the thing is, you only build confidence through action. And so, you know, the only way to build your confidence and to build your self-belief is to start. And uh, as you kind of mentioned as well, there's days where you do not want to write. There's days where you have writer's block and you're like, I don't even know how to get through this scene. But the only way that gets achieved is through starting. And yep, that writer's block on days I've had it. I just had to take it one sentence at a time. And before you know it, it's a page or two that you've grinded through, but then all of a sudden you have that inspiration, that spark, and you're back off to the races. And it's a great feeling to uh, to experience, so. Right, the only way to get through writer's block is to get through it. Yeah. You, you can't just <laughs> stop. Like you can't yeah. just have it sit there. Like you have to actually like just get through it. Like eventually like you break down a wall by, by hitting it with a pitchfork, long, or not pitchfork, uh, pick long enough. Hey, whatever you got, pick, pick <laughs> for, you know, go for it. Uh, and, and here's the other thing too, is I think a lot of us were too harsh on ourselves and we're like, it's the rough draft. This is your first pass. And I would, when I started writing, I would write, save the chapter, go back through edit, and then go on to the next chapter. I have stopped doing that. Cause I was like, I don't have time to like self edit right now. I want to get the whole book done. And once it's complete that I feel that's when I save it. That's when I go back through and do that. So I know in book four, there's this one scene and it's just fill. It's just a filler. Cause I was like, I don't know how to get Golgoth from here to here. 
and I put this portion in here and I'm like, I hate it. I don't like it. <laughs> I haven't taken it out because it's like, you know what? I'm going to deal with that in my second pass through, my third pass through, my betas. And it's such a small thing. We could take it out. Don't don't beat yourself up over some of that stuff. That's actually great advice. Don't be married to your first draft. Yes. Like that's, yep. I think that's key for a lot of people. I know that I've struggled with that. I, I think that I have to be perfect. And it's not necessarily writer's block. It's uh, perfectionism or whatever that I'm writing. I'm like, this sucks. I'm just going to stop. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, so let's, let's talk about, you know, we've talked about kind of your writing process. Um, what do you do for edits? Do you have a, an editor and how'd you find your editor if you do? Yeah, sure. So it, it's another great thing when, like I said, the confidence comes with action and you start to see your skills grow and progress. I've gotten to a point where when I self edit, I am so grateful for the knowledge I've already received. Now, I don't want to say that as this boastful thing of like, I'm, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm still a dumpster fire when it comes to my grammar and spelling and punctuation, but I'm very grateful for what I've learned because that's what held me back. I was terrible at all of those things in school. I loved creative writing. I hated getting the paper back with all the red markings. And so that's when I was like, dude, you're just going to hire an editor, write the story. You have the story, but you don't have those skills. That's why you hire those skills to help you in this process. So I normally do rough, rough draft edits. I may or may not read the script a third time from there. I will normally send it to my development editors, which are both uh, Lucas and Q. They are previous troops of mine from the Air Force. Oh, nice. Um, which is great because, you know, obviously we've stayed connected, we've stayed attached, but they know exactly who I am as a person, as well as what I was as an NCO. So they know, give TJ the raw truth. Don't, don't BS anything. Don't be around the bush. I need to hear the raw truth of it. So they will go for looking at those plot holes, the character development, the pacing. Um, does the character seem too overpowered too soon? because the dying breed is a progressive fantasy and skill set. So they look at all of those different things. They'll look at um, some of the context of like, you know, would this culture really do this right now? You know, tell us more about that. So they really nitpick a lot of those things. Um, from there, I get it back and we will normally do a video session like this where we go page by page, note by note. Um, and, and we'll make the edits from there. I'll do another pass or two. If I, if I feel like I need to, if I feel that the manuscript is great as it is, I will then go to my editor, Catherine Dunn, who's out of the UK. She normally has it for about a month. And, um, she is, she blew me away when I found her because she sends me back basically Excel spreadsheets with like every single character name, every single city or battle or region that I ever mention. And she has her little like, you know, sentence there, uh, bullet sentence of what it was. So that helps keep track of things. She'll normally give me a breakdown of you use these words more than this. These were specific things that I fixed. Um, and then I go through all of it. And she, of course, uses Microsoft Word. So we do track changes where she'll I'll, I'll see hers. And then she'll also have comments as well, which is great because there's times where she's like, I really laughed at this or, you know, um, I thought this was spot on, or this is what made me think of this. So it's a great balance. And once Catherine is done with it, 
I go through all of her edits, either approve or reject, send it back to her for a final pass. Once I get it back, I then send it to two beta readers. Uh, well, I have about two or three. And, you know, basically I'll give them a timeline of, hey, this is when I want to have the book published. Let me know what, what we need to fix. And from there, we go into the typesetter, graphic designer, illustrator, colorist, whatever else needs to do for the uh, polished uh, ending. So I found Catherine through a Facebook group called I Need an Editor. And uh, that group is a little wild. It's a little <laughs> interesting sometimes to see some of the things that are moderated on. But what I will say is, you know, I basically went into the group. I gave a brief synopsis of what the story's about. I made sure that I mentioned, hey, there is adult content. Um, both of my series are written for a mature audience, which I feel bad about because I've had a few parents come up and ask, is this good for, you know, my, my kid? I like to tell them I wrote this for a mature audience. There is a mature rating on the back, but I am not a parent. I am not your kid's parent. So this, this is your decision, not mine. I felt I did my best as the author to give you the, the uh, heads up. Right. So um, I, I put that in there. I, I did a few other things. And then one of the things I did is I sent chapter 11 to everyone who said they would take a manuscript to uh to review and and give their feedback um that was one thing that i figured hey i am not an easy person to work with on some days and i need someone adaptable i need someone who's got the resiliency to push through some of these challenges and uh i i learned from other authors after that they're like yep never give away chapter one it's way too easy for people for editors and it's and it's not a you, you want that editor who can accept the challenge. So I had about 32 people reply back to me that I had to sift through. A few of those people were like, well, I'm not really used to this. Can you send me chapter one? Nope, you're not it, you know, sorry. Um, with Catherine, she was the one that communicated the most. Like she would send me back a entire page email describing herself, describing how she flowed with things, um, her approach to everything. I really like that. She was also, um, her website wasn't necessarily the most polished, which I was okay with because it's one of those, if you have time to make your website look super duper great and polished, how much time are you really spending on your editing? Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is a decent website. It gives me everything else. She was a part of the organization. I want to say it's CAIP or CIAP. It's a, so I looked at that organization. It's a, a worldwide organization for editors and, and other people within the industry. So I found out, okay, Catherine has to pay in to be a part of this organization. There's certain uh, lessons and, and teachings that she has to go through to maintain the certification. And also if I feel like she does a bad job, I can go and file a complaint within that organization. So this shows me that she has some skin in the game, that she is investing herself into this career of hers. So I was like, I like that. And it also gave her a network of other people to where if she ran into an issue, she could reach out within that organization, get mentorship advice, et cetera. Um, Catherine comes in right about $1,000 per 50 words or 50,000 words. So that to me, when I got all my prices back, she wasn't the lowest, but she wasn't the highest. She was kind of like a high middle end, which I was fair. But the other big thing that I liked about Catherine was 
she was very complimentary to my voice. There was some, there was one girl in particular, younger, she had great editing skills, but she changed the pacing of the whole chapter with her edits. And she started to add in more details. And I was like, "Mm -mm, nope, you're going too fast. I don't like that character developing that quickly, especially within this chapter. So I felt like she was taking too much liberties, whereas Catherine was one who was very respectful of my voice. And every change she made was so complimentary. It just amplified my voice better. Um, So that was why I chose Catherine. And yeah, if, if anyone else needs an editor, Catherine's awesome. And, and I would highly recommend her at least give her a shot, you know, get your free sample back from her. You know, you, you mentioned some things that I'm going to bring out. Um, your, your, your developmental editors are, you know, former colleagues of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. That some people might not have that, but um, it's important to know the skill set of your friends and the people you associate with um, so that they can help you, right? I think iron sharpens iron. Uh, yep. And being able to know who's around you and who can help you out, even if it's somebody that I, I call a bird dog that can point you to somebody else, um, mm-hmm. is important. Uh, and two, I like um, finding Catherine, your your editor. Um, you went to this Facebook group. One, you described yourself, described what type of book it is, um, and then you gave him a challenge, chapter eleven. Um, most people wouldn't do this. And, and, you know, you kind of were looking for somebody who understood the genre that you were doing. Um, anybody yep. can say they're an editor, right? But to understand the genre that you're, you're in and what you're kind of looking for um, is, is key. You, like, so if you go to a Facebook group or, um, you know, Instagram account or whatever, make sure you describe what you're doing. Don't just be mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm writing a fantasy novel and I'm looking for an editor. Um, yep. those, those were great tips and tricks that you mentioned that I just want to bring out that, um, you know, you, you can't just go in here blindly, like you're looking for somebody that's doing a specific job and you need a specific set of yep. skill sets to do that. Yeah. So, with Catherine, um, on her website, she had like two pages of all the work that she has already edited and 70 to 80% of them all had hyperlinks to where you could find the book. And most of the stuff that wasn't hyperlinked was because it was for like academic papers that were submitted to like Cambridge University or whatever. So you wouldn't necessarily have access to those documents. And so there was probably at least 10 or 12 that I went, uh, clicked on the hyperlink. It took me to the Amazon page and I looked through the reviews. Like, did it say anything about grammar, editing, you know, anything negative on that regards? Oh, it didn't. Okay. Well then, you know, that that's a huge testament because if you don't like a book and it was for spelling errors and everything else, you know, exactly like, okay, this editor should have fixed these things for this writer. Right. Yeah. Um, I think another thing too, beta readers and development editors, you're probably, when you're starting out writing, you are going to find out how truthful people really are. Um, I had multiple people, that would say, oh yeah, we'll help you out. We'll read it. Okay. Send it to them. Never heard back. You know, and these were people that I was fairly close with that I was certain. Oh my gosh. They said they would read the book that they would help me out. And yeah, they didn't do anything. Uh, they, they never got back to me. And so I was like, okay, well, um, there you go. You know, so beta readers, development editors, it, it might take you a while, but you definitely, I would say you want a development editor who is going to be more 
harshful and critiqueful than your actual editor. And that's where for book two, for those that pick it up, um, you know, on like page four here or six, it's dedicated to Lucas. You know, Lucas was with me from day one and he pushed me. He's like, you can get better. You need to do this, 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 this. And so I was like, dude, I would not be here with book two if it wasn't for Lucas believing in me. Cause I didn't believe in myself at first, but Lucas believed in me and he pushed me. So if that's your spouse, if that's your best friend, your brother, your mom, whoever it is, whoever is willing to be there with you and guide you and push you through it, then that's the person you need to have in your corner for sure. No, that's great advice. Let, let's talk about beta readers for just a second. Um, sure. You said you sent the book off and, and, you know, people didn't read. How did you find the, the beta readers that you do have? Um, mm -hmm. And how valuable have they been in your, your journey? I know some people who don't use beta readers and some that do. Um, how, mm -hmm. how have they affected your work? Um, so it's, it's great because sometimes when you publish, uh, you don't get any feedback. No one picks up your book, right? And so when you have beta readers, you at least get some type of validation of like the story quality. So Kionis Q, he is my second development editor. He started as a beta reader for book one. And so that was me just posted on Facebook, posted on Instagram. And I didn't want to be that person that we all know. I'm like, hey, I'm starting this new company and we're doing, you know, dietary supplements. Come on into my live and da, da, da. And they're just spamming you with like an MLM business, which is great. I have a friend who's very successful in that. I'm not knocking it. But we all know those people and we all kind of like some of us may cringe when we see them on Facebook like, yeah, I'm not tuning into that again. Right. I didn't want to be that person where I'm constantly spamming my friend list for looking for stuff. So I just said, hey, if you're interested in reading it, OK, if not, there you go. So Kionis was one who reached out. He's like, dude, I'll, I'll beta read for you. I love fantasy. I'll do it. So he got beta read for book one. He loved it so much. He's like, dude, how can I help out more? What can I do? I want to be involved in this project. So that's where he was self-promoted into development editing for books two and three. His sister was then a beta reader for us because he said, dude, my sister's going to love it. And he basically said, can I hand this out to other people? So he started handing it out and he started promoting it for me on board as a beta reader for books one and two. Uh, Lucas, my other development editor, he had a family member that came on board to beta read as well. Um, she gave us some great feedback. She went, she was so great that she went chapter by chapter and wrote out like a sentence or two of like, here's exactly how I was feeling. Here's what I loved. Here's this, which as you know, that information's gold. Yeah. So, uh, so that was how I got that beta reader. And then I got, uh, two other people that were kind of just friends associates, um, who beta read. And I then had Ryan Maxwell come on board. He bought book one. He was a fellow author. We started talking for the last six months. He's been a good friend, but he was just like, dude, I am so hooked on your story. When can I get book two? So I was like, here you go, bud. He finished book two within like a week. And he couldn't sleep. You know, he had work <laughs> stuff going on. So he's like, dude, I'm just going to read this book. And he loved it. And he's like, dude, I am hooked on this book series. You have a sleeper when can I get book three? So I was like, you know what, here you go. Here's book three, but it's unedited. So be graceful to me. So you sometimes get fans or people that come in that just love the story so much that it's like, dude, I, how can I help you out more as an author? Here you go. You can at least beta read and tell me where I'm missing things. So 
that was kind of how I built my beta readers. Um, so yeah, I've got about three or four now uh, on top of my development editors. So I like that. And I like the beta reader that you mentioned that like we'll write a sentence or two after each chapter saying how they felt. Like I know some beta readers who think they're editors, right? And they, they try to fix things. And as a beta reader, this is advice if you ever want to be a beta reader. I think it's more helpful for an author if you tell them if you, you know, how you felt, whether, you know, you were, you were bored during a scene, whether you were like, oh man, like this character is hilarious. Like maybe you can bring that out or, you know, maybe in later books, not necessarily this, but like, it, it's more of how entertaining you felt as you're, you're reading the book and, and whether you're, yep. you know, like I said, bored, entertained, can't put the book down, like whatever, like that's, I think as a beta reader, that's your job. Am I, am I wrong in that? No, no, you're right on. And what's funny too is, you know, now as an author, I have two other author friends that, like I said, I'm beta reading one book. I just finished beta, beta reading another book. And I, I did the same thing to, to Brian that uh, Jillian did to me. And I went chapter by chapter. But the other things too is, you know, I was able to pick out a few things, and, but I was very honest. I was like, dude, the MC needs to fail. I'm going into each chapter and I know he's going to win. And sure enough, he would win at the end of each chapter. And I'm like, dude, why, why there's no conflict. There's no tension. It's so easy. That feedback was so beneficial to him as an author. He said, Hey, I'm already writing book two and I'm putting the MC through hell right now because you made me realize my error. I didn't have conflict. I didn't have this. So yeah, if you're, don't necessarily be like, oh yeah, that was a good read. Thanks for letting me see it. Right. You want you want feedback. Yeah. Like, okay. So what <laughs> what did you hate? What did you love? What did you want more of? What did you what did you feel I gave you too much of? You know, um, that all of that types of questions to make a story better is really what a beta reader should be doing. And just like you said, I had one. So Jillian, when she read book two she read chapter two and she's like, I was speechless. I, I literally held my breath. My heart stopped when I got to this point. And I was like, good. Cause I was worried as an author, I was scared to a certain point. Cause when I started with Lucas, I, at first I thought all four books were going to be one. I was going to have like a Brandon Sanderson size novel. I'm glad I didn't do that, but I kept referring to chapter 27. And I was like, I'm worried about chapter 27. If people can get past that, then we'll be okay. And I, as I wrote it, I got to this point and I was like, TJ, you can either go to the left where it's going to be gory, disturbing, extremely detailed, and you are going to be labeled this type of author. Or you can leave it right where it is. You can slowly tra traverse back to the right because what is the main purpose? The main purpose is to hit the person with the reality, but not go into the gruesome details. And so when Jillian got to that point and she's like, you took my breath away and I, I held on for a moment. And then when you transition, I was like, wow, that was powerful. I was like, that's what I nailed. And so, yeah, as a beta reader, please make sure you're giving those types of details because that's what the author needs to build and become better. Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. And, uh, you know, for an author to say what they want, I think is, is key and important. So, you know, again, having that clear communication um, yep. with everybody involved. Now um, we're going to kind of transition here. We, sure. you know, they always say, don't judge a book by its cover, but you kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. 
you have great covers. Who, how did you find your artist and, and what sort of thing do you tell them as you're looking for an artist to, to make your cover? Okay, so this is actually a great topic that we can go a lot in depth on. Um, I, I found my illustrator very, I was blessed and I was very lucky. The reason I said that was I had no idea where to turn, right? I went to, uh, I want to say it's deviantart.com and you're seeing these beautiful things and I'm just like, holy cow, man, I can't afford that. Like th there are people that are worth their dollar and yes, your cover is going to cost you money. But as I'm trying to scour the internet, I'm trying to, you know, there's Fiverr, there's Upwork, there's all these different sites. I round up or wound up going to Reddit. And within Reddit, there was a subreddit set. It's like uh, commissioned artwork or artists for hire, something like that. And almost every day, it's like the same people posting like, hey, commission open, commission open, commission open. So I'm going through that. I'm messaging people, reaching out to people. And there was this Reddit post from Lauren that just said, I'm open for commissions. Hit me up if you need anything done. There was no link. There was no portfolio. There was no sample images. And I'm like, dude, like, okay, well, where's your work at? So I messaged him and he just said, Hey, well, you know, here's my Instagram. Just, you can check out my work there. And I was very leery because I had already found a, one or two people at that point that, you know, their, their work posted on their Instagram is not the work quality I got back at when I, when I asked for, you know, a piece to be done. Mm -hmm which I spent some money to make sure those pieces never see the light of day. Uh, so it's like, that is not what Laura Laley looks like. Please do not share this online. Um, here's your full commission. Just give me the artwork. <laughs> so with Lauren, he had, um, he had some incredible work posted. And so I said, okay. And uh, Microsoft PowerPoint is a great tool for people, especially authors. So what I had done was, I had Microsoft PowerPoint. I use Microsoft or Snippet, the snipping tool. Mm -hmm. And I would just go through Google and like, oh, I love this. I love this. So I just take that screenshot, post it on to one slot, one PowerPoint slide. And that's where I would have notes of like, I want his eyes to look like this from this image. I want the hair to be like this. I want this, the pose to be like this. So I sent him a catalog of images and he sent me back the rough sketch of Golgoth. And I'm like, you're my dude you are my dude. Let's go. Like, thank God. So Lauren is actually out of Brazil and there was a little bit of communication differences, right? We had to translate some things, but we're now at a, at, now at a working relationship where I can just send him that main page with almost no context. And he nails it the first time. I'm like, here you go, dude. So that was how I found Lauren. And then I would just, when it came to my covers, um, the, the cover for book one was basically kind of based off of a Marvel poster. I think it was like one of the Avenger posters where I'm like, Hey, or no, it was, um, Thor. It was one of the Thor posters. I was like, I love the image of the bad guy here. I love this whole setup of characters. Let's try to go for that. And, um, that's why we, we based book one's cover off of for book two, there was a digital art poster of uh, league of legends arcane, which is one of my favorite series. I loved how they had Silco and this and this and the whole group. So book two's cover. Um, yeah. You have judge Tamman, King Dustin and the main characters there. So that's how I pieced together everything. The problem was I had found another artist, uh, Miriam, 
I misinterpreted her posting, and I think I found her on Reddit as well. But she only did coloring. She didn't do the line art. Mm. And the thing was, I was like, man, I feel really bad. I would love to have these two artists because I wanted book one to be a blessing to someone. I wanted it to be motivating, and I wanted it to be inspiring. Those were my three goals for the book. Well, Lauren, by the time we were done with book one, he was like, dude, you have no idea how much of a blessing this is. And by the time I was done with book one, my cousin, who's another author, she was like, you are so motivating. And then someone else was like, dude, you're inspiring. Book one hadn't even published and I already hit three goals. And I was like, dang it. Well, all right. So with Miriam, like Lauren was like, dude, this is a blessing. I was like, you know what? I I wonder if there's a way I could keep Miriam involved because she was really great. She was great feedback. So Lauren does all of this, the line art and the black and white. It then goes to Miriam, who does all of the coloring for our wallpapers and covers. And then we go to uh, Svetlana, who is the graphic designer out of the Ukraine. And she puts the rest of the graphic design together for the uh, cover. Make sure everything line lines up properly. So I literally have UK for editing, Brazil for illustration, Egypt for coloring, Ukraine for graphic design and then Germany for my typesetting. So it's an international effort to get my crap off the ground. That's how bad of a writer I am. But if I can do it, anyone can do it. No, that's amazing. It just goes to show how small the world really is with the internet and how you can reach across to the ponds, uh, the oceans of the world to, yep. and be a blessing to everybody involved. Like that's, a, that's amazing. Yep. We can go into uh, the pricing though, if you want for artwork. Um, because here's the thing. So I wanted artwork in the book. And I think you may have seen it if if you flip through at the end of each chapter, you either have a scene or a character bust to showcase that. That was a blessing and a curse at the same time. That was what I wanted. And when I started out, I had the financial means to sustain that. But now with current means, I don't have the financial stability to continue that practice. So it's like, dude, it, I started that. And if that's the expectation from readers, you know, Hey, book three may be published with only one or two character busts and a note saying, I apologize. Once I have more financial, you know, means I would love to sustain that and, and come out with a revision where you have those character busts. So Lauren is extremely gracious, even though I can't necessarily afford the same thing, but he was about one tenth of the cost that I should have been charged because when you're, when you're paying for artwork, you want the commercial rights. You want the commercial licensing. And so that's where in the future, you know, with selling posters, selling artwork, selling even a coloring book or anything I do with those images, I want to have the right to sell that, to make a profit, to say, this is mine. Um, so he came in extremely under budget, but even with the artwork, it costs about three times more to publish a dying breed book than it would have if I just did it without that artwork inside. Um, my covers right now run about $1,000. Other covers in the lit RPG space would easily be about $2,000 or more per cover. Right. So for a writer who's starting out, your cover is huge. And you if it's one thing where it's worth it to save up some money, get exactly what you want. Get someone who can draw your actual vision because there's so many covers where if you go through the bookstore, it's the same thing of like, oh, you have like filigreek and a crown or filigreek and a sword. You look like every other book in the fantasy genre. What sets you apart? So. Right. No, that's, 
you know, when you're starting out, you know, if you're starting like a, I don't know, a traditional business, like a flower shop or, or whatever, um, you know, costs are involved in that. And for whatever reason, people don't bat an eye. But when you say you want to be an author, there are costs that go with this business. <laughs> and for some reason, you, you shirk them, right? Like, you're like, I don't want to pay $1,000 for a cover or 2000 or 5000 or I don't want to pay $1,000 for an editor. <laughs> like, these are startup costs to run a business. And yep. suffice it to say, like, writing is a business. If you want to, I mean, there might be some of those that want to write just to write. But if you want to make a living as a, as a writer, it has to, uh, you have to invest in it. It has to be a business. So yep. let's, let's talk about the business side of it. And that's selling oh. the books. What sort of marketing have you been able to do and what have you found successful and what have you found challenging? Oh man. Yeah. We're going to get into some deep weeds here. I, I like to be honest and transparent because, you know, I've made some mistakes. I've made some errors. Um, I think also for readers, like my books are 24 95 right now on Amazon. And people may look at that like, wow, that's expensive. Like, yeah, well, that's about a Starbucks per hour that you're spending reading. For the average reader, that's how much you spent on book one. Uh, if you buy book one from Amazon, I only make four cents an hour for the time it took me to write it. Right. So in order for me to make $15 an hour for each hour it took me to write, it would take me 375 sales. That's not even including the editing costs, the publishing costs, all that else. So yes, I, you know, I get it. You may be upset that it's a 2495 book. That's literally like, I haven't even made $15 an hour for the time I invested into the story itself. Right. So that's the reality for some readers and some authors to understand. Um, and then if you wanted to add in the Kindle versions, okay, yeah, some people want some people want to read Kindle instead of a physical copy. Well, then you need to sell 3,000 Kindle books in order to make your $15 an hour for writing. So there's that. Um, as far as the startup, one of the errors I made was I had my book translated into Spanish, Portuguese, and German. Uh, so book one is available in four languages technically. The German, I don't necessarily regret because the German, um, I've had enough pages read to have had about 65 books total sold per se through Kindle Unlimited. Man, mm -hmm. they burn through Kindle Unlimited over there, but I only have six ratings. Oh, wow. You know, I haven't been able to get them to leave reviews. So there, so my first rating was a two star in Germany for the German version no review. And that really affected me. Not, I don't mind if you give it a two-star review. Uh, just tell me why, because right. at that point, I don't know if it's the translation. I don't know if there was a grammatical thing. Like I, I had no context to why you felt like it was a two-star. Uh, if you want to rate it a one-star, I feel like as an author, I should have the right to battle you in an octagon, you know, cause like, no, I worked hard. It's not a one-star at least. Come on. Um, but then the next rating in Germany was a five-star and then a four-star, then a five-star, then a four-star. So I was like, okay, that was at least super beneficial as an author, because here's a culture, a language, a group of people I do not even know reading it in a different language and they love it. And they're putting a five or four. So it's like, okay, the story itself is good. Um, but yeah, that German translation was about 2,500 bucks. 
you know? So as, as we just talked about for the $15 an hour and everything else, like that money has not recouped itself, but it at least showed me like it has an international appeal, appeal to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spanish and Portuguese Spanish was another 2000 some dollars. And it was this thing of, okay, I don't necessarily need to sell 5,000 English copies. If I can have, you know, a thousand Spanish version and a thousand German and, and just overall like that, would be great. And you start to see like, yes, Spanish, German, English, Russian, all the top read languages in the world, just because it's the top read language in the world doesn't mean that they're going to read your book. Um, so yeah, you know, looking back on it now, I would have much rather just taken that money and invested it into getting the next couple of books published, um, having that money saved up for that. So there was uh, there was that lesson learned that was hard. And Michael Stackpole, who is at FanFusion, I don't know if you got the chance to talk to Mike. I um, didn't. Every time I went by his booth, he was gone. He's a uh, busy guy. <laughs> yeah, no, Mike. So Michael and I got a chance to sit down for an hour one night and I loved it. Like I had no idea who he was. You know, I, I saw him at his booth. I would walk by. I was like, hey, you know, he's, he seems like an interesting guy. And so I finally one night got a chance to sit down with him. And uh, he gave me a little bit of, of a tough lesson of like, dude, why would you freaking do that? Why would you have your book translated? And I was like, well, you know, this is he's like, who cares? And he's like, TJ, do you think do you think that Spanish person, where do you think they want to have their book published? They want to have their book published in America. The German person wants their book published in America. Everyone would love to have their book published in English and in America. Don't worry about getting your book to the world. Write a book so well and become a master of the English language that other countries want to translate your book for you. I was like, you're right. I mean, it's Michael Stackpole. He's right. And then, of course, I looked up who he was and I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's got <laughs> he's got some knowledge here. So um, that was a, a rough lesson learned. But as far as marketing goes, I've done Facebook. I've done Amazon. I did some Reddit stuff because Reddit is very gatekeepery when there's subreddits when you want to post your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, another lesson for authors, if you are self-publishing, you are probably going to have your post taken down in almost every Facebook group or Reddit group that you have. As soon as they say, oh, this is self-promotion, we're taking it down. So that was the hardest part is like, how do I get my readers to want to share my book and talk about my book within those groups? So the Reddit, I did a small Reddit advertisement campaign. It it was only a couple of bucks, got a lot of clicks, no reads off of it. So um, I haven't done that. As far as Amazon, the Amazon is somewhat successful. Um, You are going to have to basically pay more than what you're going to make back. But if you look at it from a fact of I'm building a reader base, I'm not here to make a profit right away, then it can be beneficial for you. Um, The other thing, some people, I don't want to be harsh. I would say mostly like the person who is your parent, like the person who's writing in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who is like, well, I have $20 and I'm going to spend $20 on advertising. And then no one read my book. I'm talking you're spending like a hundred dollars a month on your Amazon advertising just to get started. There are even indie authors who are spending thousands of dollars on Amazon advertising. So yes, 
Amazon will help you get that book moved up on the list, but you are also going to be at the bottom of the list is the, if the guy above you is spending $150 a month or $200 a month. But it, I did see some progress from that, especially in Germany. Um, if I do an Amazon advertising campaign, campaign in Germany, I will get some readers off of it. Um, America, a little bit. What I found is I get a lot more physical copy, uh, paperback copy sales in America than I do Kindle Unlimited, which is really interesting hmm. to me. Um, but yeah, honestly, I would say uh, about $10 a day for a certain time frame because with Amazon, you don't get charged unless they buy or click on the book. Like, so, so if they click on it, they're going to charge you a couple of pennies. If mm -hmm. they buy the book, then they'll charge you like the dollar or whatever else. So um, you can kind of budget and work the system to give yourself, Hey, I'm willing to spend up to $10 a day, but you may only get charged like 50 cents or a dollar, dollar 50 the day. So it depends on how you want to work the marketing campaign on Amazon. Um, and then on Facebook, Facebook is extremely limiting where they do not want to have links that take people away from Facebook. So normally if you want to do your advertising campaign, you would want to set it up to where you get likes on a page. And so that brings people to your page. Um, and then from there you can start promoting the books to your followers. So if I, I could spend a hundred dollars right now, uh, over a week period and probably gain a thousand to 2000 followers on my Facebook page. But just because you have 4,000 followers doesn't mean you have 4,000 readers. Right. In reality, I probably have four readers out of that thousand. Yeah. So, so that's the other harsh reality of like, yep, this is work. This could work or this could not. Um, I would say the other lesson learned when it comes to advertising and marketing, do not write one book. The, the, because here's the thing is when you're starting out in writing right now in our generation of authors, you are considered a novice until you hit a million words, you know? So right now I'm about 560,000. My goal is to hit a million by the end of the year. So like I'm pushing myself mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean, um, it, it doesn't mean that you yourself as an author are going to be required to hit a million. You might hit your stride and expertise within a 500,000, but your first or second book, you're all learning. And uh, I had the the blessings of getting to sit down with Tim Raines, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. And I asked him, I was like, you know, Mr. Raines, what is one of the biggest advices you've given to young players? And he's like, it's a marathon, not a sprint, dude. You're going to have good seasons. You're going to have bad seasons. Your first three seasons may be terrible, but your season four is when you become an all-star. Season five is when you make the home run derby or whatever. Right. And so it was one of those things of like, yeah, you might have book one, two, three, mm -hmm. and they're really great. And you learned, but book four was the one that people loved and took off on. Right. Exactly. C.S. Lewis. No one ever really mentions C.S. Lewis books except for Chronicles of Narnia. But he has what? Six, seven books in that series. So, um, the, uh, so, so I say all that to think, Hey, can I write a series? Can I do something else? Because like books one, two, three in the dying breed are the first of the saga. They're $5.99 on Kindle. When book four drops, it's more than likely going to be the size of all three books together. It's going to be massive. I'm at 71,000 words. I haven't even gotten off to where books two and three finish. Ugh. Right. So that's where I'm like, I'm going to have a massive book. 
when that drops, books one through three are going to be free. You know, put the money down, put put it to zero because holy cow, a free book. You know, try to generate those readers, try to get them to you and follow you. Um, that would there's a lot of other marketing techniques and strategies, but the very the the great majority of people I've listened to through 20 books to 50k group all say when I put my books at free, uh some of them in a series to generate the next book sales, I normally see a spike in my readers and followers go up. Right. And so you might have to have some of those techniques going into it. So yeah, books one and two are $5.99 on Kindle for me right now. I believe in the quality and I'm not necessarily worried about a readership because I knew coming into this career, I would probably not see a real profit for at least the first three to five years. And that's really that's what most businesses expect as well. Like if you do a regular brick and mortar, like they say, you know, five, three to five years for a profit. So that's great advice. Uh, TJ, I meet you at Phoenix Fan Fusion. Um, are you going to be any other conventions this year? I'm trying. I am trying really hard. You know, it's, uh, I've, I've already put on for Tucson Comic Con. And one of the great things was when you have, when I have a fan from Fan Fusion come up and is like, dude, I'm going to be at Tucson Comic Con. You better be there. I am buying book two from you. So I am on a waiting list for Tucson Comic Con. I believe that, like they said, we have had unparalleled people apply for our Comic Con convention. It's, it's really weird, the surge. Well, Tucson has the, the World Book Festival or whatever it is. Their tables, they're, they're wanting $2,000 a table. Oh wow! this year. And so I'm like, dude, what author in their right mind would want to pay for that? So I have a funny feeling. A lot of those authors are now going to Comic-Con, like let's just do our convention at Comic-Con, um, which is another cost thing uh, we can transition into here in a second. So I've at least applied for that. I have applied for dragon steel in Utah through uh, Brandon Sanderson's group. And that was fr coming from advice from Tim Akers who I think you've interviewed already. I have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim. Uh, yeah, Tim, Tim was awesome. And when, as soon as he mentioned dragon steel, I was like, dude, how do I get to dragon steel? How do I get a table? Because, you know, I need fantasy readers. That's, that's my group. That's who I'm trying to reach. So if that's the convention where all the fantasy lovers go, then I need to try to get a table there. So I'm waiting to hear back. My application is in review right now for them. And uh, those are the only two I have uh, really, projected right now so well perfect well tj thank you so much for getting on with me um i learned a lot from you go ahead and shout out any social media that people can follow you and um how they can get a hold of you yeah absolutely so um honestly i'm a huge facebook person it's what i grew up with obviously when all this started so it's literally just facebook.com slash tdb series the dying breed series um you can also go to uh, warriorpublishing.wordpress.com that's our official website for warrior publishing and uh but yeah the facebook's the easiest way to get a hold of me perfect well thank you so much for taking time out of your day today i appreciate it absolutely carson anytime man thank you for listening to the troy podcast please subscribe like and share with your friends